Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, winging it style. I'm John Manuel. He's Matt Eddy. We'll try to keep it together for the Baseball America podcast. We thank you for the download, and we'll just dive right in. And, Matt, we just thought we'd talk a little Major League Baseball today. And uh, we could also preview a little bit of our, our upcoming issue. In a way, we're tying it in a little bit because we are going to talk about some of the surprise teams in Major League Baseball. The season's about 15 games old. It feels like it's about 50 games old after watching the Red Sox and Yankees. Already oversaturated with Red Sox so far this year. They had opening day in Japan. They had these four-hour games with the Yankees. They had the crazy game on Saturday on Fox where they switched away because of the NASCAR. You had this 15-9 game in the Bronx. The Ortiz jersey, I'm already tired of it. It's terrible already. It's uh, too much Red Sox-Yankees already, and it's just the middle of April. So that's off to a bad start uh, for me anyway. Uh, we'll take your emails, by the way, podcast at baseballamerica.com. We're going to keep up with our fine New Year's resolution of reading your emails. But let's uh, let's just hop right into it. Uh, the, the team with the best record in the major leagues uh, and the worst record in the major leagues, Matt, are your 2006 World Series participants. Your odds-on favorite to have won that World Series, the Detroit Tigers, with the worst record in the major leagues right now. And the team that actually won that World Series, the St. Louis Cardinals, with the best record in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, ten and four. What do you make of this? Uh, what do you make of Detroit's poor start first? Why don't we start there? Because maybe a little bit more, a little easier to explain. There's some tangible reasons why the the Tigers have not gotten her done yet. Yeah, well, the Tigers it definitely uh, comes down to pitching. Uh, <laughs> you just can't see. This is, they're supposed to be better on the mound than this. I, I thought people thought their starting pitching at least would be pretty good. People pointed to the bullpen maybe as their problem, but. Uh, right now, Justin Verlander and those guys, Jeremy Bonderman, no one's really kind of getting it done. I guess you, now he's hurt, so we can't put all the blame on Dontrell Willis. But did you did you think that Dontrell would have a bounce back year this year? Or did you think that Dontrell's uh, negative trends of the last couple of years since his near Cy Young year to, uh, back in 05 would continue with his Detroit? <clears throat> I would have figured maybe the odds were 50-50. You know, put put uh, Willis, he already played in a favorable park. You know, right, good point. He's moving to another favorable park, but put him in front of a, of a defense that catches the ball once in a while, and <laughs> he figured good results would follow. Uh, Has, that hasn't happened. Maybe no. maybe he's injured. I guess a lot of scouts, uh, judging from uh, baseball tonight, say that his mechanics are a little off. He doesn't lift his leg as high as he used to. His velocity was down in spring training. Right. These sorts of things. Then he had that ugly slip on the mound where it looked yeah. a lot worse than I guess it really is. But It looked painful. It definitely looked painful. You saw it. You could definitely imagine him being hurt. I guess the, the bigger problem for them is him hurt or not, they don't have a whole lot of options in the upper minors really, Matt, to supplement their pitching staff. They've done everything they can to avoid going to Virgil Vasquez or Jordan <laughs> Tata. Good point. Or these guys they've had in AAA for the last two years and guys who throw strikes but don't overpower guys, overpower batters. It's a great way to put it, and that's a great, uh, I think, referendum on Jordan Tata and Virgil Vasquez. Yeah. They've avoided them as much as possible. They've gone to the waiver wire. They've gone to Armando Galarraga, who pitched well for them the other day. The best starter, arguably. Yeah, yeah, so far, so good. And uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the guy really had a big year in the national system. And then, oh, my, by the way, he probably threw too many pitches that year and broke down. But uh, and the other startling thing really right now about Detroit is just you know, Placido Polanco, Von Rodriguez, Jock Jones, Gary Sheffield, all those guys are have been uh, impotent offensively, really. Um, I'm sure they wouldn't want to hear that, but they've been impotent offensively. And uh, you know, Polanco's a guy's a batting champion type hitter the last few years. And they hit 154. But it's early. 
Let's talk a little bit about what's going right, though, in St. Louis. That's a a bigger surprise to me, really, uh, Matt, is – and this is a team that really didn't make any offseason moves and really seemed as an organization to be one in transition while Jockety exits stage left. John Mozeliak takes over as general manager. Uh, ownership really seems to you – know, there was a lot of uh, talk that maybe uh, Tony LaRusso and Dave Duncan were going to leave. They did not. They stayed there. It seems to be another, similar to those six World Series in a way in that with less pressure, less expectations, the Cardinals are playing better, playing more freely. And you know, they, they kind of almost seem like they expect Albert Pujols to have Tommy John surgery any day. He just keeps playing, keeps being Albert Pujols. Uh, the Cardinals are, are, you know, so far so good in St. Louis. Yeah, uh, all their, their key offensive players are off to good starts, uh, save for perhaps Troy Gloss um, struggling a little bit. Yeah, it's but, shocking to see that he hasn't hit a home run yet, really. But um, the, I think their pitching has really kept them afloat. Adam Wainwright has developed into a much, much better pitcher than we would have given him credit for three years ago. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, you know he was a very hot prospect in a, in a ball, and I just recall when he was in the Southern League. I did the Southern League the year he was there. With, he was in the Braves organization, and the scouts I talked to all thought his breaking ball was just too slow. He would not have enough of a power breaking ball to be an effective big league pitcher or an ace anyway, a frontline guy. But he's certainly done it. His fastball is, a, I think, a better pitch. He pitches downhill. Uh, he can kind of do the eye-level thing where he can go mm-hmm. up high with the fastball. He has enough velocity to go up. He can pitch downhill with the fastball, and then he can change your eye-level again with the, with the breaking ball. So he's become a true front-line guy, almost an ace. And you've got Mark Mulder just finishing rehab in Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. you got Chris Carpenter is going to come back. Uh, this could be – there could be some staying power in St. Louis, I think. It could be, and they've gotten – very positive early returns on Kyle Loesch, I think the last good free agent to sign. Right. Or a mediocre free agent, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> right. I mean, he's, he's league average pitcher. A guy who they got for a bargain price, considering that, you know, Carlos Silva signed for $11 million. <laughs> Kyle Loesch versus Carlos Silva, I think I'd almost rather have Kyle Loesch. And, uh, and I just have to point out the, the Braden Looper experiment. Who would have given that any chance to have to succeed? Great take. He... <laughs> As a reliever, he couldn't retire left-handed batters, but here he is in his second year, uh, off to a good start. It was pretty reasonably effective last year and uh, very, very crucial to the Cardinals' success thus far. Guy, here's a guy at age 32. Here's a guy at age 32 who throws 100 innings more than he had the previous season. First time in his major league career he's a starter. Now, he did start in the minor leagues. I actually mm-hmm. did a Carolina League note on him in 1997. Yeah. Getting stretched out as a starter. That is an institutional memory at Baseball America. <laughs> I remember him when he was at Prince William with Cliff Polite in the same rotation, as it turned out. Cliff Polite was having the much better year. Polite might be with the Cardinals now, actually. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I love Cliff Polite. Uh, he's uh, the Brit Reams of his day. Actually, they were they were contemporaries. But, um, you know, Braden Looper got to a great start last year. He predictably faded. Uh-huh. But um, he's a guy who's never been great, but he's always been okay. Probably never been good enough to truly close, no matter how hard he throws. He's had four or five years as a closer. But it is, uh, you would never have been able to predict this guy going and becoming an effective big leaguer. Now, if he can maintain what he's doing now, he's not going to keep on having a 270 ERA. But, to quote Peter Gammons, if he could just keep up being solid in their rotation, uh, that's going to be pretty important for them. And uh, every once in a while, pull out a seven inning, you know, five hits outing. He's he's been very impressive. And he... That could be a story. It could be a show there. And when you say they didn't make off-season moves, I think you may have overlooked. They uh, did re-sign Joel Pinheiro. Ah, uh-huh, I did. And bring aboard Matt Clement. 
Those are two big ones. And Kyle Loesch, we got we, we touched on him. But the guy that you know we thought would be breaking through with them and being the guy that you would write about this year would be Colby Rasmus, and he's mm. not started off the year uh, in the organ in the big leagues. Well, we, we do have to. We should point out too that they have productive outfielders. And that's the thing is that they have they've got Ryan Ludwig, a former college star, a guy we pumped up. He's finally become a nice role player, a really good platoon guy with Chris Duncan. You get the right left power corner outfield guys, and then of course Rick Ankiel. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing so well in center field, uh, offensively especially, and giving them uh, a smooth transition really from the end of the Jim Edmonds era. And they don't have to rush Colby Rasmus, who's off to a very poor start mm-hmm. at AAA uh, Memphis with only 10 hits and 56 at-bats. And Ryan Barton gives them a fourth outfield option. Rule so, 5 pick. So that is their deepest offensive area of offensive expertise at the Major League Global. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast. He's Matt Eddy. I'm John Manuel. Let's take a couple of podcast questions. Podcast at BaseballAmerica.com is the email address. Our usual emailer, Joe LaCates, checks in from Easton, Maryland. Curious to our thoughts on the status of Jordan Schaefer as a prospect. Tested positive for HGH a couple weeks ago. We haven't had a chance to talk about him on the podcast. That cast a shadow on his breakthrough 07 season. How did we evaluate him at this point? Matt, not sure if you read Jim Callis' column that he's written for the next edition of Baseball America. I thought Jim, in a lot of ways, nailed it. I do. I'm a little bit less uh, skeptical than Jim is of the effects of HGH. I do think HGH probably helps players, or else they wouldn't take it. Mm-hmm. At the very least, it probably has a placebo effect. Oh yeah. Um, but I think it has some tangible benefits as well. Uh, I know the scientific data on it is at 100% conclusive, but hey, if Sylvester Stallone can look the way he does in Rocky, whatever number it is now, I'm guessing it helps. At the very least, it helps your muscles recover from injuries mm-hmm. and recover through the daily grind. So the jury to me is still out, though, on Jordan Schaefer. I think that Jim wrote it well. Let's evaluate Jordan Schaefer after he comes back and performs post this suspension as opposed to judging him before he comes back after this HGA suspension. I, suspension, I think that's fair, don't you? That's true of any player who's suspended. I completely agree. I mean, all, all these PED suspensions, all these stimulant suspensions... You know, missing 50 games is a big deal Absolutely. to a player who's still developing. Absolutely. Hey, there's no way to know. Hey, if you miss 50 games with an injury of some kind, yeah. even with a fluke injury. For Alex Escobar, you missed two entire developmental seasons. Correct. That's what happens. That, and so that's, that's a great point. Even when he comes back, if he struggles, he can't initially just chalk that up to the PED. He missed 50 games of action, and he's not even allowed to be around his teammates, these kind of things. The bigger story, which we're also trying to chase down, we do have some more details in the next issue of Baseball America, and they'll be on BaseballAmerica.com, is the process. And uh, J.J. Cooper was able to talk to people at NLB, and one thing we have learned is that there's going to be a placard on every clubhouse wall, just like there is for Rule 21, the gambling one, saying players don't gamble. And if someone on your team is gambling, you should turn them in. There'll be the same kind of thing for performance enhancement drug use, which is uh, tells you a little bit about how MLB starting to view this. Because gambling has always kind of been that scarlet letter in baseball, and now they're ascribing that same judgment, finally, if you want to think of it that way. And they're doing that now to performance enhancing drugs. Not sure how I feel about that process, but this new investigations unit, Matt, really seems like it's going to rely quite heavily on players or coaches turning in other players. Mm-hmm. That seems uh, a little, uh, I don't know if that's big brothery or however you want to put it, but it's unfortunate that's how McCarthyism. we're going. Man, you could go, you could look at it that way. You could look at it that way. But maybe that's less invasive than a drug test or a blood test. But uh, the unfortunate thing is I think that we're, 
we're going to be dealing with these issues for a long time. I think the science is always going to be ahead of the of the testing. So, uh, Joe, thanks for your weekly question. And we also had a question from Greg in Maplewood, New Jersey. He loves the podcast. Never miss it, even if we do. A couple of questions uh, this week. Um, and the main question is uh, regarding Homer Bailey, all the hype on Johnny Cueto and Homer's demotion to AAA. Are the Reds souring on Homer Bailey's ability and future with the team? Uh, his most recent starts in AAA again confirmed that he has ability, which never seems to have been in doubt. Uh, so basically, Homer Bailey, what's the deal with that guy? From Greg in Maplewood, New Jersey. Matt, you're our AAA Johnson, or I should say our AAA Joker. What do you think of uh, Homer Bailey? Have the Reds soured on him? Do you think uh, they're maybe just going to showcase him for a trade? What's your take on Homer? Uh, they have not soured on him. No, he, Homer Bailey is still improving. Uh, he's still improving his his command of his, of his fastball and his breaking ball. Um, he got in trouble last year because he found out, you know, when you fall behind big league hitters, you know, they're not going to just swing at something that spins. And, Good point. And when, you, and when you're walking a guy every other inning, it's it's kind of tough to control the damage. And right. no matter and how he hard did that throw. in AAA and in the major leagues last year. So the fact that he's walked, what, three batters this year? It's uh, a good start, absolutely. It's a very, very encouraging sign for Homer Bailey. It's an interesting team that uh, they have uh, in Louisville because I think the Reds are kind of a chic pick. Uh, a lot of people who like to bag on the Reds because of Dusty Baker and they're going to underachieve. And then a lot of people have them a chic pick because they have the young power arms everyone thinks you have to have in Cueto and Volquez. But they do have Homer Bailey. One of John Mangle's all-time personal cheese balls, Tom Shearn, started the 2001 World Cup team for Team USA, uh, who finally got to the major leagues last year in AAA. But they also have uh, you know, other young players who can help them this year. Jay Bruce is a little injury scare right now, a little minor shoulder injury at AAA Louisville, but he should be able to help them down the line once you know, Junior Griffey has his annual injury. Um, you've got Joey Votto sharing first base with Scott Hatterberg, but winning more and more of the time. And obviously, like we said, Cueto and Volquez, and I think the Francisco Cordero uh, you know, signing helps them. Probably not great to give a closer of four years and $10 million a year, but I think he will help them contend this year. And sooner or later, the Reds have got to show their fans they mean business and they they want to win, and they intend to be a factor. And I think this is a, a good year for them to try that. Another arm you might want to throw in that mix, you might want to feel free to throw into the mix, would, sure. be, would be Matt Maloney, yep. a strikeout lefty who's getting it done in AAA. I've always liked Matt Maloney uh, out of Ole Miss. Uh, you know, firm enough fastball, but pitchability and spins a breaking ball, does a changeup, but the, he's not a soft tosser. You know, kind of 87 to 91 fastball, and at times they'll run up there a little bit better. So good reports on him in the Eastern League last year before the Phillies traded him to the Reds. In the Kyle Loesch deal, oh, it all comes back around. Uh, so we thank uh, Greg in Maplewood, New Jersey, and Joe LeCates for the questions. Again, you can send those into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Uh, we usually record these on Thursdays, so it's a good idea for you to try to get them in by that time if you want to comment uh, for the podcast. Uh, Matt, one other thing we wanted to talk about on today's podcast was some of our uh, Baseball America graduates. I guess you talk about uh, some young players who have gone on to big league success. We released them into the wild, and we're going to have some of these guys. Adam Wainwright's one of them. We have a Major League Scouts view. Uh, we've gotten some Major League Scouts views that we're going to be doing this year. But I guess the biggest name guy, he's off to such a huge start this year, who's so hot right now, uh, our, your 2005 number one overall pick. and A lot of hype about the 2005 draft. Justin Upton, the number one pick in that draft. And good golly, Miss Molly, he's been playing very well this year for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Wow. It's, it's, yeah, it's everything you could have hoped for. It's like his uh, the fast start he got off to last year uh, times two. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And that was in the Cal League. <laughs> this is in <laughs> Los Ligas Mejores. 
And it's just it's hard to believe it's just we're two years removed from a really underwhelming Midwest League season where the reports are, it depends on who you believe, did he dog it and play at half speed all year, or was he really shocked by the grind and could never turn it on uh, the way he wanted to because he just wasn't used to the grind, the travel, the weather, the whole nine yards. And then once he had that year of adjustment to pro ball, he was able to turn it on and, and really keep it on. Which which do you think it was in that 06 year? A little bit of both maybe that he maybe thought it was going to be easier than it was, and then once he found out it was difficult that he couldn't quite just flip the switch? Certainly. He probably he certainly probably thought it would be a lot easier than it was, but the Midwest League is tough for a lot of guys. Absolutely. Uh, Jay, Jay Bruce and, and Cameron Maben had superficially better years, but right. Upton has, has passed them. You know, he's outclassed them. There's no doubt. Uh, he and Maben, the only uh, high school guys from 05, the 05 draft that got to the big leagues last year, that kind of allowed Jay Bruce to be our minor league player of the year. He was in the minors all year. All year. He dominated. He's the same caliber of prospect. But Justin Upton seems like he's uh, kind of hit the accelerator button here with five home runs already in the early going. And, oh, by the way, his older brother, B.J., raking, uh, looking the part. A uh, couple home runs, actually drawn walks this year. Uh, just Those two guys are two of the most exciting players in the, in the big leagues. And, you know, to, to, to be Captain Tangent again here, uh, these two guys, and Delman Young, there are a lot of good young black players in baseball. That comes that kind of... I was flying in the face of it. The trends are all down, and this week was Jackie Robinson week, uh, April 15th. Um, and there's, a, you know, Richard Lapchick does a study every year of baseball and its diversity and how it comes out in diversity uh, measurements. And, and to me, the trends are up. I just notice a lot more good young black players in the game now than there were 10 years ago. And maybe I'm the only one, but, I mean, the Uptons, Delman Young, Elijah Dukes is a talented guy like that. Uh, there are a lot of, it seems like there are more, Cameron Maben, we just talked about Cameron Maben. Millage, Millage. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Edwin Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just, you know, to me, there are more Ricky Weeks, uh, Ricky Prince Weeks. Fielder, the Brewers have several young African-American mm-hmm. players. I don't know, how do you feel about that? Do, do, I do feel like Major League Baseball lost a generation, but I don't feel like we're in the, I think that ended. I think now we're, we've gotten back a generation, I think, of young black players are starting to play baseball again. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I I don't I don't think the pro, I think the problem's a little bit exaggerated. I think ten years ago the problem was bad. Now mm-hmm. I think it's come, there's some bounce back. Yeah, uh, some of the key guys in, in recent drafts, Upton being the best example. Weeks and Delman Young, just, just just right there, 2002, 2003, 2005 draft, the number one or two player were all high school African American kids. Upton second overall in 02, uh, Delman Young first overall in all three, Upton Justin Upton. Number one overall in 05. I don't know. I mean, that I, I would say that you could go back and draft history, and that there probably weren't a lot of years like that in the 80s and 90s, especially. Uh, you know, in the 90s, you're thinking about your Chipper Joneses, and your uh, you did have obviously Junior Griffey in the late 80s, but you know, Alex Rodriguez, Chipper Jones, and you know, Brian Taylor was African American uh, player picked first overall in 1991. That didn't quite work out, but that was injury, I think, not talent. Uh, but guys like then you later on though in the decade you had guys like Darren Erstad and Matt Anderson and a lot of I, I guess the thing is as you go college the more college players get drafted the wider the draft gets because college baseball is 98-97% white players um, and really for that I don't think you can blame Major League Baseball I think you blame the NCAA college baseball is not a full scholarship sport and if you're a, a sociologically disadvantaged 
player, whether you're uh, uh, white or black or Hispanic or whatever, if you need a full scholarship to go to college, you're going to play football or basketball, not baseball. Pure and plain and simple. Very, very few full scholarships. So I think I think Major League Baseball actually gets a little bit of a bum rap on that, Matt. I think the NCAA deserves criticism for it, and it's a very good reason why Major League why, why uh, college baseball should be more funded with more scholarships to yeah. to, to cross the streams of two of my great tastes that go great together, uh, Major League and college baseball, but. Uh, I kind of think that's all a little bit overblown, but so but in that with that going on though, I do love to see players like BJ and Justin Upton uh, go off, or Ryan Howard as another example yep. of a guy who Chris Young, Curtis Granderson, absolutely Curtis Granderson, a great example of a guy who did go to college, was a college baseball player, wasn't highly recruited, and uh, wasn't even super highly drafted, a third round pick. Curtis Granderson, guy, one of my one of my favorite big league players. He's a lot of good things uh, going on with uh, with baseball. With, uh, that are wrapped up in Curtis Granderson. Uh, final thoughts, Justin Upton's a great guy to pull out as a young player who the second year has been much better than his rookie year, his official rookie year. Alex Gordon's another one uh, we're talking about, Matt. Uh, we just saw a glimpse the other day for the Mets of Mike Pelfrey, kind of his third season, but finally a big-time start of Mike Pelfrey. Are there some other young guys uh, who caught your eye early going this season? Uh, I guess Gordon, actually. I think I'm kind of stealing your thunder on Alex Gordon a little bit. Talk yeah. a little bit about Alex and uh, about Alex Gordon, his uh, second season so far. Yeah, Gordon, after the great start, after struggling through April and May last year, he really... Yeah, I think he was under 200. Now. Yeah, he really... But, you know, that, that shows his incredible character to, to get through that and to, and to be relatively productive in the second half and to, to be off to a monster start this year. That's a really interesting team, the Royals. Zach Greinke, you and, can't... And Greinke, exactly. I mean, you can't about Pelfrey root, three years. Yeah, you just can't root against Zach Greinke. I mean, you had a root for that guy to, with all that he's been through. Uh, and then Brian Bannister, uh, who's really become the, the <clears throat> stat head favorite for saying that he's a stat head and <laughs> saying that he thinks about those kind of things and he understands Dipsy RA and all these kind of things and BAPIP and all these words I never thought would be spoken on a Baseball America podcast. But he's out to a great start. Uh, I just hope he doesn't face Cuba. You know, Brian Bannister got his head handed to him by Cuba in the World Cup in September of '05. That's what I think of when I, when I think of Brian Bannister. I think of that. I think about emailing with him and his younger brother Brett at Southern Cal. Uh, great career that Brian had when he was healthy at Southern Cal in the, at the turn of the century, 2000, 2002, right around there. Uh, but uh, this is a guy who uh, you look at Gil Mesh, Zach Greinke, Brian yeah. Bannister. Brett Tomko, maybe can can the Royals have some staying power to the decent start they've had with? The Billy Butlers and the Alex Gordons and some of these young players. We'd love to see it, certainly. It's a lot of young prospects who are the guys who are doing it for them right now. Ex-prospects, I guess I should say. What's your thoughts on Trey Hillman's club? They, they could be very interesting. Uh, it, reinforcement-wise, uh, Luke Pochaver is in AAA. He's pitching pretty well. And he's, he's, he's off to a good start. Uh, they have they traded away uh, Billy Buckner, so they don't have him. But they, his replacement, Kayaspo, is off to a great start in the major leagues. I shouldn't say replacement, the man who was traded for Buckner. Right. right. I, you know, Joey Gathright's performing a little bit for them. They're interesting. They, I'm not saying they're going to win uh, you know, 90 games, but... That's a good it, lineup core, Gordon butler TN. It should be their best team since their fluke 2003 team. Yeah. That, that team won 85 games, and then they've had three horrible seasons again since then. <laughs> this team, I bet you, doesn't win 83 or 85 games like that team did, but it's it, next year... I think the Royals should have the goal of being a 500 or better team. and uh, I think that if Trey Hillman uh, downloads the podcast, he's probably a little bit disappointed that we don't think they could be 500 this year. But, um, yeah, Joachim Soria doing it again. Great Rule 5 pickup. 
Uh, so they've got some arms in their bullpen. Yeah. Um, Leo Nunez, Nunez and uh, Ramon Ramirez in particular. And Jimmy Gobble, a veteran. Hideo Nomo, not so much, but uh, why not give uh, uh, Yabuda and, and Nomo a try? I, I don't see why not. But you know, the Indians are struggling. Uh, Detroit's struggling. Kansas City's a big reason why Detroit's struggling. Right out of the gate, swept them in Detroit uh, in opening series. Nate Rody be damned. So, uh, you know, you got to like that. I, I, I never I never uh, hate to see uh, new new blood and a new team come through, and I'm tired already of – I'm tired of uh, – the Red Sox and Yankees for four <laughs> for four hours every night on Espen the, the, the channel. So, uh, Matt, any final thoughts from you until next week's podcast? Not until next week. Not until next week. He's Matt Eddy. I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download of BaseballAmerica.com and iTunes. We'll see you next week on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.